When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Soccer Show and an episode in which we're kicking off awards season by dishing out awards across a host of categories for the 2022 World Cup. My name's Ryan Bailey, joining me to dish out gongs that hopefully no goalkeepers will hold near their groins. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello, I enjoyed that. Annie Martinez refuses to take things seriously, be it uh, his actual play on the field, uh, penalty shootouts, or uh, winning uh, justified silverware, I guess goldware in this case. Uh, I love me some Annie Martinez, I really do. Goldware should be the term for silverware that's gold. You're quite right, Taylor. <laughs> there we go. We're, just, we're coining things last minute here on the Total Soccer Show. There we go. World's expanding as we speak. Joining us, Taylor, a man looking forward to seeing World Cup winner Julian McAllister in the League Cup at Charlton Athletic on Wednesday. Graham Rutherford, hello. I mean, who isn't looking forward to seeing him? Julian McAllister? Is that the brother of Alexis McAllister, I take it? Yeah, I've talked the wrong name there, haven't I? It's Alexis McAllister. <laughs> I was confused. I was yeah. confused. Was his dad Julian? Yeah. I've forgotten. I can't. Julian Alvarez, maybe. Uh, and Alexis McAllister. Anyway, yes, I can't quite month, believe. Graham, okay? It's been it, a long month. It has indeed, and I can't quite believe that we are heading at speed into the busy winter schedule. Does the Bundesliga at least have like a break? They normally have a break over this time, so are their players getting a little bit longer? But yeah. no such luck for players in the UK or in Spain, actually. I believe they're getting back to things pretty quickly as well. Bundesliga's just taking the rest of the year off. They're just going to drink every Saturday. Sure. That's what they all agree. Just, just give Bay- Bayern the goldware and yeah. be done with it. Well, all their players are breaking their legs on ski trips, so um, they've decided to <laughs> take a little break instead. I can't understand why that is allowed in a professional athlete's <laughs> contract. This yeah, go amazing. skiing in your break, yeah. You, yeah. You'd think it'd be right there with the motorcycle clause that so many players have now of you cannot yeah. ride a motorcycle, you cannot go skiing. I think both of those are fair. That is exactly, I'm sure that many, as you say, Taylor, do have motorcycle clauses. But yeah, this is an extremely dangerous sport you can do on this massive slope. Go and do that. Cool. <laughs> Just add the biathlon in. Let's get some Let's get some rifle shooting in there while you're skiing. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Roman Greco wrestling? Yes, please do. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, rounding out our pack, a man who would have a clean sweep if we awarded trophies for TSS hosts. Hi, Joe Lowry. Aw, hi, Ryan Bailey. I think that was a compliment at me and a shot at everyone else, including yourself. I'm not really sure how this is going to go, but I am happy to be here. I still can't believe the game that we saw yesterday was a real soccer game that actually happened. Mm. And so I'm just going to pretend that the reality of the returning club season is not real until I finally figure out whether or not we're living in a simulation. Yeah, it it doesn't feel real. I mean, I looked out the window this morning and it's Christmas. Who knew? I didn't know that. (laughs) Is, is Scotland a... Oh, I know the time zone is different. Is it a week ahead? <laughs> no, this still counts as Christmas, Ryan okay. Bailey. I see. It's commercial Christmas. Have you checked out already? Commercial Christmas. Yes. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Richard Madeley reference, I believe. You just yeah, made it was. Yeah. Very good. Very good. 
the Joe, real life Alan one? Partridge. Joe, Joe and I just sitting here stone faced. Yeah, <laughs> he's saying British things. That's all. Don't worry. Some uh, uh, 0.1 percent of our listeners will appreciate that reference, I'm, Graham. I'm I'm still kind of wondering, Graham. What was it that you looked outside and saw that made you realize it was Christmas? Uh, twinkly lights and drunk people. You know, but I guess that could just be Scotland any <laughs> day of the week, uh, uh, any time of the year. I guess. Do you put special <laughs> toppings on your pizza kebabs at Christmas time? <laughs> You do get like deep fried pigs and blankets. I saw I'm going out for a night out on Wednesday and one of my pals sent me a picture of like loaded fries with pigs and blankets in them, which I am going to buy. So expect a review over Christmas time of those fries. Um, I think one of my favorite things I've learned during this World Cup, sorry, Ryan, eventually I will let you transition us to the actual meat of the show. I've just really (laughs) enjoyed learning how much of a liar Graham Ruffin is when it comes to his antisocial personality. Graham is a social butterfly and is constantly out doing events, going to concerts, going on trips, hanging out with friends. Graham, I'm not having it. I feel like you are the life of the party. Uh, that is incorrect. Taylor Rockwell, we spent like two weeks together and I think I confined myself to my bedroom for that whole time while you all sat in the living room, which I feel like is a counterpoint to your, your argument about me being the social butterfly. You were just, I don't know uh, what was going on in those rooms. You were, just, party. <laughs> you, were, you were in there, Graham, just texting all your nightclub friends in Glasgow. Yeah. That was it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a clubber, actually. Yeah, that's my alter ego. Yeah. Neo, neon paint on my face at the weekends. Wonderful stuff. Excellent. Let's get to the awards ceremony then, shall we? We've got several categories in this here podcast. Actually, before we get there, we should probably, we're being jolly in this episode, but we have to acknowledge Mm. the backdrop of this tournament Mm. where we had Messi versus Mbappe in the final, who it just struck me yesterday that they're both employees of Qatar, of course. It didn't really Mm -hmm. strike me while we were watching the game, but yes, it did. And then Messi in his in his bisht, I believe you call it, the Atari, uh, Qatari, Atari? The Qatari gown that that was put on him during the ceremony as a a way of Qatar inserting themselves into that moment, which was a bit grotesque, I thought. But this, this tournament, Taylor, obviously comes with a background of massive corruption, of migrant worker deaths, of a country that very much extols a lack of equality for LGBTQ plus and women. Uh, billions spent on stadiums that won't be used again, not very environmentally sound. So there's a lot of issues here. So before we get into the fun, we have to be, be uh, realistic about things, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I was reading today because I saw a few people alleging that they had pumped in crowd noise for their games. I don't know if that's true, but I did find myself reading a a long article in the New York Times about the Qatar fans, the quote-unquote Qatar fans who were there uh, celebrating. We talked about them when we first saw them, that they had a bunch of tattoos, and that is surprising for a fundamentalist country. And it turns out those were not Qatari people at all. They were from Lebanon and and Turkey. Uh, And so you even had there sort of the the artificial fandom uh, as part of this World Cup. I think, though, if I wanted to be positive about things, I would say that I don't know if their gambit entirely worked. Because I think the, the plan here from the jump was not even to build a soccer infrastructure or a soccer community. Uh, that same article had quotes from Qatari natives about, like, oh, it's fun to see those people celebrating, but we don't really go to games. That's not really our thing. I don't think that's what, Car- what Qatar was trying to do. I think they were trying to show the, the luxury lifestyle that you could have if you wanted to vacation there and all of the amenities they have and I guess they did that to some extent but for the most part I felt like the coverage I saw uh, aside from some of the uh, rave reviews from Fox uh, w- was if not negative then just sort of 
curious, sort of confused by yeah. it, not particularly positive about it. And so I think in that way, I don't think it was really successful. I don't think they come away from this with a ton of people thinking, hey, that's the new Dubai. That's the new Vegas. That's yeah. the new place I want to go. I think it will be remembered as a curious World Cup where Lionel Messi became the greatest player of all time. And and we spoke about that, Taylor, you and I, when we were in Brooklyn together and we're watching Fox's coverage and they had that big mega set down by, I believe, the waterfront in Qatar's called the Corniche. And I, I said to you, this is really weird broadcasting because you get no sense of place from from how they were setting things out. And normally if you go to a World Cup, you get some sort of, I guess, education is the word on the city or where things are taking place. And you can kind of plot out, even if you're not there, you can kind of plot out. I always remember the 2014 World Cup and I could have told you that the media center was on the Copacabana Beach and what was kind of roughly around the Maracanã and, and kind of there was that stadium in the Amazon and, and you got none of that with, with uh, Qatar and obviously a big part of that was down to the fact it was all in the one city but it didn't really feel like if Qatar was if this whole tournament was about selling Qatar I agree I don't think they did a good job of selling Qatar I mean how many people who go to, to Dubai on holiday and there are plenty of people who do that how many people are now realistically going to go to Doha on holiday after this World Cup I, I don't think that's going to happen yeah, and, and frankly, I'm curious because I I think it's fair for us to draw conclusions about the perception of Qatar based on what, what we think, but I also think it's important for us to acknowledge that we are not like the average soccer fan. We were not the target of Qatar's sports washing in this whole yeah. event, right? We, we're people who spent time reading and thinking and talking about on this show a lot of the problems associated with Qatar hosting this World Cup. We've discussed those things. We've talked about it. Other people that are tuning in sort of more casually, and there are millions and millions and millions of those people who are tuning into soccer either for the first time or for the first time in four years or for the first time in three years since the last women's world cup whatever that looks like those people are in a completely different demographic and i don't know if if we're the ones to do this research or not but i also think it's important to recognize like we might not know whether this truly worked for qatar or not and that is kind of troubling and kind of strange to think about but i'm not sure we can draw like meaningful conclusions about it from just the four of our perspectives here uh, that's a really important point joe and i think I, I was hearing something the other day in the the values that we're imposing on this tournament are very western specific and some markets uh a lot of the south american countries the conversations we've been having about the tournament just haven't been had at all and when you look at a lot of those markets in the very large countries and even continents you could argue they're not having those negative conversations about Qatar and they've done the job of marketing themselves because now that's a country that people might not have even known existed and they do now. So I suppose in that sense, they've had a win. And then and then another, to extend it, I read recently that they're going to bid for the, is it 2034 or 2036 or the Olympics in the, in the 2030s. And I just think that even to kind of counter my own argument there, um, even if they're in that discussion, then maybe they have achieved the the the, the weight and the corridor of powers that they, the corridor of power that they can they can kind of put themselves forward for events like that. So maybe maybe this is the start of a longer term process for Qatar. But I I do have kind of mixed thoughts on it. Yeah, I think you're all making very good points, especially the idea that like this also I am approaching this from a very U.S. centric 
perspective, obviously. Uh, and, and I think you're right that like maybe this wasn't the like we weren't the market they were going for. That maybe they were going for a more global audience when it came to uh, appealing to those tourist dollars. Uh, and, and so yeah, maybe in that way they have been successful. Uh, I think my just sort of thing that I hold on to is that in all the conversations that I had about the World Cup with people who are very like diehard soccer supporters, with people who just like the sport and and stick to politics, and then even people who are just sort of not as into the World Cup, not as into soccer but get into it for the big tournament or got into it sort of casually, never did I hear it. Like, seems like a nice place. Like, I feel like I heard that in Russia in 2018, that people were sort of like, I don't know, like, some of those places seem like they'd be pretty fun to go hang out and watch a game. I did not hear that so much. And so in that way, I'm taking that as a win. Um, You didn't fancy Lucille, the the city from the future with the flying uh, flying whale or shark or whatever it was? Is that the one with the uh, fake buildings as well? Yeah, the the skyscrapers with nothing in them. Yeah, yeah. That feels very (laughs) North Korea to me. Uh, But yeah, so I think like, and that really is a great representation for me of Qatar and this World Cup. It was very pretty on the surface, very lovely stadiums, uh, like like lots of you know fanfare and marketing. But at the same time, there wasn't as much maybe substance behind it. Uh, I still think we will end up remembering this tournament specifically, but I think we will also end up remembering after the games are gone and the stadiums are dismantled. We'll remember a lot of the discussion around it. I do think. I think we'll have those memories of workers' rights. I think we'll have the memory that three journalists passed away covering this tournament. At least three that we know of. Grant Wall being one of them um and no no foul play or anything like that uh but it it still is just it casts a shadow over this tournament and it is a thing that i i think will be hard to kind of remove from the mind a little bit at least for me uh so i i think that's where i end up being sort of mixed on the tournament as a whole even if i am already sort of missing getting to watch national teams play each other in a competitive setting yeah, there you go. Well, I'm sure our perspectives will shift when the Saudis have it in 2030 <laughs> and so on and so forth. Why yeah. don't we uh, we'll focus now on the yeah. on-field action. The first category of our awards, Joseph, best game. I'm assuming it's the one we saw most <laughs> recently, but if you've got any other nominees, by all means. I do have one other nominee, but but not that I'm trying to put above the game we saw yesterday. There, there for me is a pretty clear top two, and I'm curious to see if others have a top two as well. But it's like one dot 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 two because of the just the moment that we saw yesterday. It is the World Cup final is the best one. Three three, Argentina winning in penalties, of course, crazy twists and turns. A game that I think I will truly remember forever. And and how cool to have that be the final, right? Have the best game of the tournament, I believe. Be the final, that's not something we usually see happen. We talked about in the preview. You know, I, I was trying to give some reasons for optimism and trying to get myself to believe that it was going to be a fun game, knowing full well that tournament finals often end up being pretty slow and pretty me- mechanical and methodical. And, and very few things about that game, maybe save for a stretch to start the second half, were any of those adjectives that I just tossed out there. So that game, I'll, I'll remember forever. The goals, Mbappe's finish in particular, honestly, is the goal that stands out for me the most. But... I mean, he was on the losing side, and that's just another reason that that game was so memorable. My my second option here, and I'm curious to hear if you guys agree or disagree, is Argentina 2, Netherlands 2 from, shoot, that would be the quarterfinals of this tournament. Argentina winning 4-3 on penalties. Argentina blowing their first 2-0 lead of the tournament that they would later repeat that feat in the World Cup final. Just such a fun game, right? Crazy moments, that set-piece goal at the end from Veghorst. I, I never thought the Dutch were going to come back in that game. They did. That match for me was also pretty much an instant classic. I have that as my my second as well behind the World Cup final. Joe, it didn't really occur to me that Argentina had already 
uh, like seeded a two goal advantage and yeah. then still found a way to win. I now wonder if that is like a an important part of their story in winning this tournament is having that sort of like setback and then still finding a way to get through, not losing momentum, not losing their heads in the shootout. I wonder if that gave them some preparation for that final. But yeah, I have those two games uh, as the biggest ones. I love that the final now becomes like one of the things we can point to when people say, well, you know, the final of a tournament is always kind of boring. We could say like, well, 2026 was or 2022 wasn't hopefully 2026 isn't. Um, so I had those two, and then from a personal standpoint, the one that I think I most enjoyed watching, even if it almost gave me a heart attack, was USA England. I know that was not a good game, like aesthetically, but uh, it was it was such an intense one. It was I was nervous from start to finish, uh, and then I enjoyed getting to talk about it afterwards with you all. So that was probably my favorite game from an anxiety fandom perspective. But the other two were just from a purely entertainment, uh, fun to watch perspective. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that one. <laughs> oh no not so much <laughs> well, I, I, you didn't enjoy the Wales game did you I remember that one being one where you were I liked um, half of it yeah mm, angry Taylor at full time yeah yeah yeah, I think I think it felt I, it felt like an opportunity missed. And in retrospect, if I knew that they were going to get out of the group, even with that result, then I probably wouldn't have cared as much. But it did. At that point, I was slightly worried about England and how badly that game could go. And then we still thought Iran were terrible. And then once they beat Wales, it felt like, see, there we go. We're going to regret this. Iran's beaten Wales. We should have too. And I stand by. They really could have gone for it there. And I think made a, a statement of intent. And though they didn't, uh, still love me some USA, even if I did not love that half. Graham, any other noms? Um, yeah, so obviously uh, uh, Taylor and Joe have kind of covered my top two already with the two Argentina games. Some honourable mentions, though. Um, Spain-Germany. I might argue that that was actually kind of the highest quality match of the entire tournament. Um, it felt like both teams played at a very high level and, and it flowed one way and then the other. And we saw something close to the best of, of, of both teams and... Um, someone was kind enough to bring me Jamaican meat pies for the watch-along, so that m- might also be influencing my opinion of, of this match. Um, a couple of honorable, other honourable mentions, so Serbia 2, Switzerland 3, and, and Serbia were involved in a couple of chaos games at, at this tournament, uh, but the one against Switzerland was probably the most exhilarating where you had all five goals in, a, I think, 25-minute spell e- um, either side of, of halftime, so that, that sticks in the memory. And I also enjoyed England-France very much, my personal All right, let's move on to the next category then. Um, (laughs) We're giving that one to the World Cup final. Worst game. Graham, I'll let you jump in with your first choices for worst game. I'm thinking Croatia have at least one nominee in this category. Maybe their opener against Morocco. There was was a lot Mm -hmm. of those 5 a.m. games, whether the the, uh, timing affected it, but that wasn't fun. Yeah, so this isn't a contest as far as I see it. The group stage match, the one you referenced there between Croatia and Morocco, which finished goalless, was an abomination. <laughs> and if you told me at that point that both teams would reach the semi-finals, there's there's no way I would have believed that. Neither team was at all interested in, in, in attacking. That one was one of the 5am games, and Joe and I, I believe both of us, went back and watched either all of that match or a good portion of that game and reported back to the other two and said, don't don't even bother. There was just, there were zero chances, zero intent to create chances. I think both teams, with it being their opening fixture and just the profile of those teams, as we learned over the course of the tournament, particularly in Morocco's case, very defensive. So they were quite happy with a point apiece to start. It's just as well that that third place uh, playoff was was more entertaining. And just a quick thought on kind of a general, broader look at the, the good and the bad games at this tournament. 
this World Cup was kind of flipped in terms of what is usually the case at, at World Cup. So the group stages are usually, at least in my lifetime, are usually where you have the most goals. And I went back and looked at previous World Cups and that is the case. In the group stages, you have more goals per game than in the knockout rounds. But this World Cup started off pretty slowly. And I remember saying after the first two match days that it hadn't been the best tournament. Mm-hmm. But from that point on, everything came to life. And, and there were a few duds, but they, they came early in the group stage. And a lot of them were at 5 a.m. So I slept through a good few of them. But then match day three in the group stage was incredible. The round of 16 was the highest scoring last 16 in history. And then in the latter rounds, you either had great games with loads of goals or you had massive shocks. So even when the, the games that didn't have lots of goals and exciting moments were games like Morocco beating Spain and Portugal. So when I went back through, I was kind of leaning towards the first two match days. And after that, I was struggling actually for bad games in this tournament. Joe, any other noms uh, for the list? Graham has established the the one that sticks out for me in Morocco, Croatia, part one. I honestly, <laughs> it, felt, it feels like it's been so long since the group stage that I initially had forgotten that those teams were even in the same group by the time the third place game rolled around. Not that I watched the third place game, but you get the idea. Denmark, zero, Attaboy. Tunisia, zero from Attaboy, the group stage yeah. as well. Just <laughs> just ones that I have like virtually no memory of at this point are, are sort of the ones that I gravitated to for this. But yeah, Graham's right. Lots of good games in this tournament. I even enjoyed the vast majority of the first two match days in the group stage. I thought there was a lot to like some really memorable matches there as well. But yeah, some of those nil-nil draws early on fall into this category for me. Taylor, any others? Uh, I will emphasize the Croatia-Morocco one just to say a point Graham made, uh, that if you told me that those two teams were going to be in the semifinals, I would have been depressed because I would have assumed that it was like, oh, they're going to grind their way. It's going to be boring. It's not going to be very interesting. That's going to be the way way this tournament plays out. And like Graham said, then things came to life and it ended up being uh, a Croatia team that were really interesting and always very difficult to to defeat. And then a a Morocco team that were very inspirational and, and fought for everything and still played some really electric soccer uh so again then looking back at that first game and realizing that it was nil nil and not interesting at all is uh is sort of revealing so yeah i would have that one as the clear favorite the only other one for me again a like a a personal bias here for sure was the usa losing to the dutch uh in the knockout round just because it after that first goal it felt like that was very 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 easy and i'm worried how things are gonna go and then the dutch scoring again just before halftime at least with the u.s uh the u.s men especially like you you sense that there's always going to be a fight there the women tend to be like ahead and not having to like hang on for dear life whereas the u.s men are always trying to like to like fight tooth and nail to get back into a game or to pull one goal back and and they do get that one goal back then the dutch score again and it just never felt as close as i think we would have liked as hard fought as we would have liked and so for me that was the worst game but from a personal perspective for sure all right then let's take a quick break when we come back we're going to look at the best player back shortly this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Awards Ceremony. Da, 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 da. I'm wearing a gown, it's very fancy. Best player, Joe. Um, it's a negligee. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a bisht, actually. I got it from Lionel Messi. <laughs> um, best get, uh, player, excuse me, Joe. I believe the best player by FIFA standards was Lionel Messi, if I'm not mistaken, by the trophy he received for this privilege. Are we going to give it to him? Are we going to give it to someone like Anton Griezmann or, of course, someone like John Stones just for being handsome? Yeah, I respect you providing some other options for me there, Ryan, to pick from, but I, I didn't really need any after Lionel Messi. Credit to FIFA, one of the only times I've said that, for getting that right or whoever votes for the Golden Ball Award. Leo Messi, no question, was the best player at this tournament. Seven goals, second behind Mbappe in that stat. Second in, in terms of expected assisted goals, first in, in XG plus that previous metric. Just elite at everything. You don't need me to, to toss out numbers to understand that. You can watch the game and see it very, very clearly. Elite at a whole bunch of stuff. I think it was a very fitting end that Leo Messi lifted the World Cup trophy and was certainly the best player in this competition. Mm. Graham, Leo Messi. I mean, yeah, he wasn't bad, I suppose. So there were three kind of uh, best players at this tournament, <laughs> Messi being one of them, um, but the other two being, you know, Mbappe winning the, the golden boot, scoring a hat-trick in the final. And if I think of throughout this tournament, who was the the who was the most unstoppable player? If I put it in those terms, then maybe I, maybe I do go for Mbappe over Messi because teams were basically setting up. Their whole game plan against France was to stop Kylian Mbappe and he still scored eight goals in six games and only six of... Sorry, in seven games and six of those were starts. And I don't think we've really seen a player do that in terms of goals since, what, Ronaldo in 98 or 2002? So the three players that are clearly above the rest for me are Mbappe, Messi and, and Griezmann. Griezmann's probably in that third spot just because his final didn't go very well at all. Um, and then some honourable mentions as well for a couple others. So Sofian Amrabat for Morocco, I think, was one of the surprise packages of this tournament. Um, Onani, another surprise package. And then Julian Alvarez, I think, has contribution throughout that tournament for 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 Argentina. He wasn't messy, but in terms it's of a, their power a, rankings... Alexis of Alvarez, most... Graham. <laughs> Alexis Alvarez, yeah. yeah. Alexis Alvarez, um, not far well actually quite far off messing the power rankings but he's second is the point i'm trying to get to for argentina in terms of importance over this tournament t-rock uh i would agree with everything graham said except i would say unahi instead of unani uh but unahi i thought was 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 probably my my third choice for this Alexis one unani <laughs> that's the one that's the one uh and then i do think Kylian mbappe was the more unplayable player probably the most unplayable player in this tournament and like, yeah, as Graham said, teams setting up to try to defend him and still failing. But I think when you combine the importance of the goal scored with just the importance of the player himself combined with the, the moment of winning the World Cup, I, th I think Lionel Messi deserving of the golden ball for sure. Just sorry, just to be clear for Graham and, and Taylor in response, teams did also set up to stop Messi, right? They weren't just setting up to stop Mbappe. So I, I don't know. That's the one bit of that argument well, uh, that I yeah, don't buy. I think... I think what we're both like implying is more so the the physical freak aspect of killing Mbappe. That it's like, do, do we do we like make his boots heavier? Do we tie his shoelaces <laughs> together? Like how? Because like you like Messi at least isn't just going to roast you with speed. Yeah. he might roast you with skill and meg you, but at least you can put a couple more defenders around him. Mbappe, you can put as many defenders as you want around him. If he takes that big touch, he is away, and you are not catching him. So I think I in that way, I think of him as unplayable. Yeah. 
I also just think it was quite funny that a num a couple of teamers were like, okay, we're going to put Kyle Walker on him and that will do the trick. Oh, wait, no, no, he's just sprinted past Kyle Walker. And then it happened again with uh, Hakimi in the semifinals yeah. where they're like, okay, we've got Hakimi. There's no way Mbappe's going to get back. Oh, nope. Yep. Okay. He's doing that Mbappe thing again. Oh, so has. with Messi, we're kind of used to it by, by now that yeah. you can't stop him. But with Mbappe, I just thought it was funny that teams set up specifically to stop him and then didn't. <laughs> I think we stopped him, but that's another question, another point for another day. Greg. Apart from that key apart contribution that, for the first goal that, yeah, put France ahead. Well, yeah, Ryan, why? Ahead. Why, Ryan? Why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> Let's move on to the next category. Uh, it is the player we wish had been at the tournament, but was unfortunately absent. Taylor? Kieran Tierney. Not him. <laughs> I think um, a lot of people's minds would point to Karim Benzema here. Yeah. How do you feel about this award? I don't know, because I, I, I know why Karim Benzema is probably likely to be the answer, but I enjoyed Giroud, and I thought he played well. I thought he contributed key goals and key moments. I know L'Equipe do not agree with me when it came to his World Cup final performance. I think he got a no rating. Uh, such ah, was there, his... there is a caveat there. So if you play less than 45 minutes, you don't okay. get a rating from okay. L'Equipe. So right, that's, that's the better. qualification. That makes more sense then. Uh, but of the players that weren't there due to injury, he's on that list. I think Christopher Nkuku would have been really interesting as well for what he could have brought to that French attack if they were looking for something late. Uh, and and then Sadio Mane, I keep wondering yeah. how much stronger Senegal would have been. An already very strong Senegal team, how, the problems that he would have posed for defenses, how good he is at finding ways to score goals, and, and just the importance of, of, of his role within that team. I think Mane is the player that I would have most liked to see if we're talking about injuries, if we're talking about just players that we wish had been in this tournament. It would have been pretty cool to have Erling Holland there and have it be Holland and Mbappe and Messi and Ronaldo to get kind of all, all four that people are, are talking about these days. Uh, I think it'd be fun to have all four of them there. Maybe we'll get uh, Holland in 2026. Uh, but Mane of the injury uh, absences was the one that makes me scratch my head and wonder what might have been. Yep. So those two were on my list, Taylor, Mane and, and Nkuku, not just because I would have liked to have seen them at the tournament, but also it felt pretty cruel for both yeah. players. So Mane getting injured so close to the start of the tournament and for him to be the face of that team, to have that glorious moment at AFCON earlier this year and then miss the World Cup felt cruel. And similar with it in Cuckoo, his injury happened on the first or second day of, of France being in, in Qatar. And I wonder if that's actually worse, even worse as a player um, in terms of, you know, Mane doesn't even make the trip. He at least stays at home. But in Cuckoo go has to fly home immediately after arriving in Qatar and then watch his, his team in that same environment, go on to a World Cup final. So I don't really think France missed them all that much. He probably doesn't start many games for this this tournament. That's the, the the strength, the depth that they have in their squad. But he is a wonderful player. I would have enjoyed watching him at the World Cup, and it felt cruel the way that his injury happened. Joe, any other thoughts? Maybe Timo Werner. Uh, we wouldn't have been treated to the full Krug at that point, but. Uh... <laughs> What yeah, think? what a crime. That would have, I, I'm glad we got the full Krug, <laughs> just even for that moment, Ryan, of you saying it. Kavaradana is the only other player I have on this list. I, I'm not sure we'll ever see Georgia in a World Cup, but I think breakout stars, that would have been something real. Oh, one more, just found in my notes. Marco Verratti as well. I am sad that Italy didn't make this World Cup. I really enjoy watching Italy. I think they're a very good team and we're incredibly unfortunate not to qualify. Qualifying is just brutal like that sometimes. So a couple of uh, of either players playing in Italy there or with Marco Verratti, an Italian that didn't make this tournament. It, it is brutal when you don't beat North Macedonia. It is. Uh, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I actually I'm surrounded at home. I actually am really sad that Italy didn't make it just because I think it's fun to have Italy there, but also because I do wonder what might have been. I think it would have been hard for Ryan to <laughs> not like Italy a little bit more if they'd been in the World Cup because. 
you imagine the entire country shutting down for those games, everybody carrying the whole country being excited for them. I think it's really difficult to exist in that world and not be at least a little bit swayed by it. I'm sure Ryan would have found a way. I'm talking while yeah, looking at my audio levels, so I can't see his face. I'm assuming he's shaking his head or making Taylor, his face. You, Taylor, you, you just said Ryan was going to be happy and Italy would be shut down in the same sentence. And I don't think those things make Ryan Bailey very happy at all. Not, uh, all right, then, then at the very least, Italy would have been like the streets would have been quiet. Ryan could have gotten to the Starbucks that's 30 minutes away in record time. There it is. And in that way, maybe he would have liked it a bit more. That's very true. That's very true. We're all very sad that Italy didn't qualify for this <laughs> World Cup. Yeah. Um, let's uh, move on to the next category, shall we? The best goal. Um, obviously, a few nominations. Richarlison's got at least one, which you'll probably get tattooed somewhere at some point. I, Joe, I'm going to take a controversial route and say, I'm not sure if it's the best technical goal, but just for the context it came in and the sheer audacity of it, it's that aforementioned Valt van Korst free kick in the Argentina-Netherlands game. Just because I think of all the goals... So two goals have had me off my feet that were non-England goals in this tournament. It was Mbappe's volley and that. That really yeah. got, got me going. And I think that's a quality him, in a good goal, right? Yeah. No, that's a great pick, Ryan. I didn't have that as my winner, but... I mean, there's a reason why that game, I mentioned it as my second behind the World Cup final, that Argentina-Netherlands game, that was a phenomenal moment. I could not believe my eyes when that happened. I thought the game was done. I thought it was over. I thought Argentina were going to coast to the semifinals. And then Vaud Veghorst comes out and scores that, that free kick, and it is a beautiful moment. I still, though, have the Mbappe finish to get it to 2-2 as the best goal of this tournament. Maybe it's not technically the most difficult. I think it's it's up there, though, and I think the moment is far larger than any goal other than the last two that were scored in that game. So it's 2-0 to Argentina. Uh, Mbappe gets a penalty in the 80th minute to make it 2-1. And then Kings of Coman takes the ball off of Leo Messi. They play through midfield. And then it's a ball lofted over to Mbappe on the left side of the box. And he smashes it with his right foot first time. It's an unreal finish. It got France back into that game. If, if he doesn't score that, maybe the game ends in regulation and they never have a chance to actually take it to penalties and win. They don't win, obviously, but man, that goal for me is still replaying in my head. And I know it was only yesterday, so it kind of makes sense, but that's that's the top one for me. <laughs> Taylor, any any movement on that? Um, I'm wondering, uh, Joe, I, there was movement for me in that I also jumped off my couch when that goal happened. Joe, did you happen to check the, the stats on that one? That goal? Uh, I did not check. In terms of the XG, is that what you're wondering? Yeah, I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's 0.12, so a 12% chance basically, uh, which feels appropriate for how important that goal was. Just because when you watch it, when that happens, when the volley, when it's it's chipped over, and you can tell he's setting up for the volley. The the best goal is I think the, my favorite part of the goal is when you know it's going in. You can just tell there's going to be a goal here. There's that little like half second of oh this is definitely going to be a goal. And then sometimes it isn't and you feel totally robbed. And sometimes it is and you're already sort of getting on your feet. That was one where it felt for all the world like it's going to be a goal. He is going to score this. And because he did, it feels like yeah he did what he's supposed to do. He equalized it. He sent us to extra time. That's awesome. Watching it again today. Did not really fully appreciate the degree of difficulty that he tracks that ball, that it's the one-two, then he's tracking it over the air, then he hits it 
perfectly with the perfect power, the perfect placement. Uh, he gets a little bit of swerve on it. It's just a phenomenal goal, and I and I agree. I think that that deserves to be in the conversation. I would put Messi's goal against Mexico in there. Um, I think I think the Brazil team goal that they had against Korea was pretty amazing, uh, and the Abubakar chip uh, over uh, the Brazilian goalkeeper uh, in that one. Then he gets sent off. Uh, those are my three other ones that I think deserve some conversation. But yeah, I think Mbappe, surprisingly enough, is probably my favorite goal we we saw in this tournament. I'm inclined to agree with that. Uh, even though I initially said it was very coarse, I've changed my mind because you're an excellent narrator, <laughs> Taylor. Graham? Um, so I'm going to be boring and like break down different selections. So I'm similar to you, Ryan. In terms of like best goal moments, the two goals that made me get up out my seat and go and tell my wife, my wife, uh, like that she needed to turn on the TV was the Mbappe volley. I'm just getting in there qu- quickly so that no one else can <laughs> can jump in. Yeah, with a matter of I don't know how I feel about um, myself, my wife. I don't know if that's allowed. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're not allowing that. Okay, I won't do it again. I won't yeah. do it again. Yeah, so I went through to the kitchen and told my wife that uh, both those goals, she needed to turn on the TV and she told me to go away. Um, but then that the, my other categories are best team goal. So that's the, the Richarlison one against... Uh, I was trying to Google it. Is it against South Korea? I think that one is. The volley. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the, yeah, the one the that, that counts about. Say that again. The combination one, the one where they. Yeah, the combination one. Yeah, so that's against yeah. South Korea, and then the the best banger was Richarlison's volley against. Was that against Serbia? All these games. Yeah, I think it was against Serbia. And then the the novelty goal of the tournament was a Bubakar for me, where he where he lobs it over the goalkeeper when he thinks he's offside. So those are my selections. Very nice indeed. Uh, let's move on to the best underdog, Joe. Surely it's Morocco. Is there anyone else in this conversation? Mm, I mean, maybe there is in the conversation, depending on how broad we want to be. But the answer is Morocco, right? It has yeah. to be Morocco. Then making this run all the way to the semifinals. In a tough group, right? I might add, this is a very difficult group, I thought, coming into this competition. For them to top Group F with Croatia and Belgium and Canada, all three of those teams, I thought, were were totally in the running to get out of Group F. For Morocco to top that group without losing a single game, and then to beat Spain in the round of 16, then to beat Portugal in the quarterfinals, and then to, to lose to France, yeah, but still, you know, what an incredible run. It was a historic run, really, for Morocco of the 88 squads, that have reached, this is from ESPN, who did the math, I believe, of the 88 squads that have reached the semifinals in the 2020, sorry, in the 22 editions of the World Cup, of the Men's World Cup. Just three of them were from outside of Europe or South America. And Morocco now is one of those three to do it from from a, a confederation that's not UEFA or Conmebol. That's incredible. I mean, that is going to be another part of this World Cup that we truly remember for a long, long time. Morocco will go down in history, even though they lose that third place game that Graham loves so much. <laughs> it does indeed. Who, uh, any does other take? The other one? It's Korea, Korea and Morocco, right? And the U.S. back in like 1930, I believe, is the other one. Yeah, oh, which is right. ridiculous that those are looped in together. Yeah. So, well, nah. all right, yeah. Nah. Nah. <laughs> are we all agreed, Morocco? Any other conversation here? Yeah, I, ha- I have to mention Australia because I had them down as the oh, worst yeah. team at this World Cup, and they certainly weren't that. They they played to their strengths. They they got the best out of a group. Of players that, even by their own admission, I'm sure they would they would admit isn't their most talented that they've had over the last you know 20 25 years, and they gave a, a scare in the, in the last 16 to the eventual winners. Argentina were kind of hanging on a little bit towards the end of that game, um, and then ap- apart from anything else, the the scenes I don't know if anyone else saw this, but the scenes back in Australia were incredible during some of their games. So I saw watch parties in in the streets at, at times like five and six a.m. 
with what looked like tens of thousands of people um, all watching the games and then flares when they won and they got through the group stages. So yeah, I, I, it's clear the right answer is clearly Morocco, but I have to mention Australia because I thought they were going to be terrible and they weren't. And it's a shame that the controversy with the, the A-League, I don't know if, if people are following that, but the, the Melbourne Derby scenes we saw at the weekend have come so quickly after this World Cup because the Socceroos achieved a, a bit of a connection with their fans that hasn't been there for a while. So it, it transcended soccer as well, their overachievement. Excellent stuff. All right, one more category before we hit a break. The biggest underachiever of the tournament, the the, the the team that batted well below its average. So, Taylor, we're thinking maybe the Germans or the Belgians or maybe, just maybe, the hosts, Qatar. Ooh, that is a great shout. I wouldn't have had them on my list. Uh, I did have a different team. I think Belgium, Germany, Germany deserve to be on this list. Belgium, I think we all thought might underachieve. And so in that way, I don't think they're the biggest. Germany, I think, like, sort of hard done by the group, also didn't hit their top form. But as we talked about many times, like for the the first 75 minutes of that game against Japan, were the very good team, looked very good against Spain, didn't end up having enough to get through. For me, the team that I like, genuinely forgot were at this World Cup until I went back and watched some of the earlier games is Denmark. And Denmark was a team yeah. that I I had... Uh, That's my pretty, I, I had high expectations for it to begin with. Graham, I'm not going to lie, amped those up to like an 11. Uh, <laughs> and then they did not perform at an 11 out of in 10. Fairness, in fairness, I also brought everyone down on Belgium. <laughs> and that kind of put me level on, on my predictions on that point. But yeah, sure, sure. I, yeah sure, sure, I, sure. I thought they were going to be good and they were not. <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to take shots at you. Maybe I was. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was. Uh, but yeah, Denmark, I think just a team that I completely forgot were there until watching games again. I was like, oh, right. So they. they played. Yeah, that was fun. So I would say they were they were underachievers in that way for sure. They are the uh, the Anne from Arrested Development. <laughs> yes, way to way to way to plant Denmark. Way to plant. <laughs> yeah, they got left in Mexico. Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, so so it's Denmark for you, Graham. Yes, I had the the. You mentioned some that were on my list there. So Belgium, Qatar were also on my list. I had. Um, I had Brazil on my list, which may seem harsh to nominate them as an underachiever given that they did reach the quarterfinals and they played some good stuff. But I still feel disappointed that we never really got to see them make a proper run and they were tournament favourites and it seemed like they had all the right ingredients. And then it all came to halt so quickly. And look, that can happen in tournament football. They ran into Croatia, who were kind of built to exploit their weakness. But nonetheless, there was, there's a real sense of unf- unfulfillment with this generation for Brazil. And I can't help but shake the feeling that even though they made the the final eight, they underachieved at this tournament. But yeah, Denmark are the are the are the clear answer for me. I, I thought they were going to be very strong at this tournament. And maybe this is just a bit of a course correction after the Euros and the Nations Leagues and and, and, and Nations League and the qualifiers where they were very strong and, and maybe that was get that maybe that gave a false impression. Maybe they were never that strong and this is them being brought down to earth a little bit. But I, I think it was probably proof of how brutal brutal tournament football can be when you only have a handful of matches, but still they very much underachieved. Joe, we come to you. Ryan, you mentioned Qatar, right, early on in, in your intro to this question. I have I have them on my list. I don't think they're the biggest underachiever, but they certainly underdelivered, as did all of the teams that have been mentioned so far. Brazil is the only one that I'm sort of on the fence about, but the only other one that I'll add to the list is Uruguay, who I thought underachieved. I think they had a, a doable group to get out of. They did not. They rarely, if ever, looked dominant. They looked capable at times, but didn't play great soccer. I don't think played to their their full potential with Fede Valverde and Darwin Nunez and, and Suarez and Cavani, center back depth, depth in the attack. I think for them to to crash out in the first round of this tournament is is certainly an underachievement. 
Good stuff. All right. Um, we've got a consensus on that one. Uh, anyone feeling particularly strongly about their choice? I mean, in terms of results, I think the answer is probably Germany. I thought they played really good soccer, but in terms of results for them to not make it out of a group, granted a tough group, yeah. I, I, think it, I think it's Germany. Okay. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, the really important category. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. I teased before the break that these are the big categories. These are the ones that have the uh, guests in the uh, ceremony on the edge of their seats waiting to be called to the stage. Biggest poop house is our first one. The biggest poop house of the tournament. I've got a couple of nominations here I'll run through. Uh, I firstly nominate Federico Valverde. If you remember the penalty uh, that Ghana took, and Ghana missed, I think it was Andre Ayew who'd missed the penalty, and Valverde celebrating in front of the referee's face, getting all up in the referee's grill afterwards, not not kind of maybe realising that there was the rest of the game to play with that referee in front of him. So good stuff there. Uh, one that I thought was quite intriguing, I don't know if you guys saw this, the Qatari ruler Sheikh Tanim bin Alhamed Al Thani, um, during this World Cup, he attended uh, the Global Anti-Corruption Awards in Doha, in Qatar, hosted there. 
Um, among the prizes was a prize for combating corruption in sports at the Global Anti-Corruption Awards in Doha, um, which he won. And it was presented to him <laughs> by Gianni Infantino. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that was the thing that happened. <laughs> very chill. Yeah, very. That that's poop housery at its very finest. But I, I think for me, Graham, the winner is uh, the winning goalkeeper, Emmy Martinez. Uh, for I don't I don't think it's actually very funny what he did. To be honest, in the shootout, the way he threw away the ball for Chumani, got to it, made him go fetch it. I think it's it's very unsportsmanlike. The way I think was it in Command's face where he was shouting in his face, uh, or maybe it was um, it was someone else. But he he was. Uh, very, very um, aggressive in that shootout. And there was a moment in the dressing room where he interrupted a conga line that was going around the dressing room to ask for a minute's silence because Mbappe is dead. <laughs> so, Jesus. What? Amy Martin, that's like quite a day. That's not how I thought that was going to finish. I didn't hear that at all, so I was caught off guard by that. Um yeah, what what wow. a character, Emmy Martinez. Wow. The, did you mention the Golden Glove thing as well? I don't oh, know yeah. if that counts. He as, also, well, we all, as we all saw him do that, yeah. but yeah. yeah, okay, maybe Emmy Martinez is just the answer, but a couple <laughs> m- other candidates. Uh, I don't know if we've ever had a poop house referee before, yes, but Matthew Mahoz very much feels like. <laughs> That is him, so he Great is pick. a candidate for me. And then also Kylian Mbappe, who uh, was very much alive during the, the France-England quarterfinal, when he turns around and openly celebrates Harry Kane putting his penalty kick over the crossbar. Uh, I very much enjoyed that image. I might make it my profile picture on Twitter for a few years. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Matthew Lahoz and Mbappe are up there as well. The, the one that I'll add, Grim, those are great picks, Ryan. Yours were, were good as well. Uh, I have this also for a later nomination for a different category, but I want to toss it in here because I think it fits. Uh, Jawad El-Yamik for Morocco, defender, kissing Pepe's head after (laughs) Pepe misses a shot in the closing minutes of their quarterfinal game. That that miss from Pepe kept it at 1-0 for Morocco. And just the kiss on the bald dome is exquisite i have it I, i'll just say it now it's it's down as my funniest moment of the whole tournament later on so i guess i'll get this one out there but man yeah. that that has got to be one of the biggest poop housing moments even if el yamik might not be the biggest poop house of the whole tournament i like it i like it any more norms taylor I mean, Matthew Lahaz wins. I had not put him on my list. Graham, <laughs> I love you for that. I would say honorable mention to the Dutch, who I think didn't get nearly as much negative coverage in the shootout with Argentina. Uh, by all accounts, it was pretty back and forth in who was messing with whom. A lot of Dutch players walking up when they weren't supposed to. Denzel Dumfries gets that yellow card, and then he's like, oh, what? Did I get the order wrong? Like, you know what you were doing, dude. You were trying to disrupt. And so I think both sides pretty guilty there. Uh, but then, yes, uh, and Martinez uh, does plenty of that uh, in that shootout and in the final against France. I think he is probably the actual winner, though Matthew Lahaz, I think, deserves a shout. Yeah. Well done, Graham. And in, in that Argentina-Netherlands game, you also have Messi, who was kind of feeling himself yeah. as a bit of a poop house, yeah. with not just the he, he did the cupped ears celebration to Van Hal. Does anyone, did anyone hear the story behind that, of why he did that? And he had a big old so, argument with Edgar Davids as well, didn't he, on the, on the sideline? He did have a big argument, yeah, but the reason he did that was Juan Roman Raquel May is apparently Messi's hero, mm-hmm. and is a pal, and Van Hal and Raquel May did not get on at all, famously, when they were both at Barcelona, so when things got a bit needly, Messi decided to do Raquel May's trademark celebration in the face of awesome. Louis Van Hal, That's which great. apparently is the, the story behind that. So yeah, Messi... Uh, 
maybe uncharacteristic uncharac- for him because he also bites Veghorst's head off in the interview, <laughs> yeah. fi- figuratively, That's not right. not literally. Um, but yeah, there was there was so much poop housey all at once in that game. That, so maybe a few deserve a nomination that was from that. The poop house game because was it Paredes who blasted the ball into the into the yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. coach the Netherlands um, box or Enzo Fernandez? Maybe it was Enzo Fernandez. I can't remember. Am I, I, oh, I, I I think it was Paredes. Okay. I, I had in my notes yesterday. I forgot to mention it. How did that man not get a red card in this tournament? <laughs> he might be my actual nominee because he flies under the radar. But how he never picks up that second yellow, I don't understand. How he was never suspended for so many aggressive tackles, so many moments like that. Uh, it is shocking. Lionel Messi also has those moments too. He has the one where he doesn't get a yellow for a deliberate handball that I think could have been given. Yeah. And then he had one yesterday where he definitely has a professional foul and pulls just clearly pulls the jersey back. And you can see the official look at him like, ah, you're messy. I'm not giving you a yellow for that. And then he just walks out. Like, so I think Messi gets away with those things a bit more. But uh, yeah, I'm still saying Martinez. And Messi Lajos is the referee of Argentina Netherlands, lest we forget. So right there, <laughs> of it really comes he back was, around. Yeah. yeah. There we go. All right. Best celebration now. Taylor, I feel like the Brazilians dancing um, and getting the coach to dance with them is pretty much up there in terms of the ones that will live on the highlight reels. I see. I think so. Except that now it's a very like it's a representation of hubris and yeah. how if you do all your dancing, you don't know what's going to happen the next round. I still think some of those. I love the Chi Chi one, even though I think it's come under fire the most for being like, oh, even the coach is dancing. But I thought that was great that you get everybody involved. He's into it. That felt like a team you wanted to be a part of right up until they lost the next game. Uh, so with that in mind, my nomination is Atraf Hakimi's uh, penguin after he's yes. after he has his Panenka celebration and does his little happy penguin just. For how calm and confident that penalty was to do a Penenka to win the game, but then to have that in the chamber as well, just to go straight from like veins of steel to just like, yeah, I'm a penguin now. I so don't that, know. <laughs> the, the story behind that is a bit of poop housery as well. So that's that's the dance that he does with Sergio Ramos at PSG. Like that's their thing together. And so he never said this, but that's against Spain that he he puts yeah. out the World Cup. And it was a story before that tournament that Ramos isn't picked for that by Lucho for that squad. So I don't know whether it's reading too much into it, it's whether not. he was just doing something he does at club level, but it's very much his and Sergio Ramos's thing. So was that a message, you know, kind Graham, of getting back at, Graham, at, at Lucho? Are you suggesting that Sergio Ramos plays at club level? <laughs> Occasionally, yeah, okay. any spare time. All right, Graham, thank you. Thank you for doing the deep digging here because I really I came into this feeling like some of the celebrations, some of the housery toned down a bit. And I really was wondering if it's VAR because so many things are going to get caught. You have fewer, I think, blatant dives in this World Cup because it's going to get caught either uh, immediately as we got yesterday or via, via VAR. You don't have those moments off the ball that like sort of people get away with a couple times and they're on that list. And so I appreciate that it, it takes next level abilities to troll and have some housery moments. And I I appreciate that Graham did the next level research to find out the meaning behind them. The cupped ears, the penguin celebration. Good stuff by you, Mr. Ruffin. Yeah, I mean, we're reaching a new level of poop housery intelligence with yeah. the, in the VR age. Yeah. <laughs> we got the a- next version of AI. XP. Yeah. We got XP on each game now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Joe, any more for this category before we move on, sir? Yeah, just a couple from the final. Andres Cantor, who uh, moved from Buenos Aires to the United States as a teenager, I believe is a, a really famous commentator now, obviously play, uh, plays, commentates for Telemundo and, and was doing so throughout the World Cup. His celebration after you know Argentina win the match yesterday has gone a little bit viral on social media, and it, it's him crying eventually and just sort of chanting over and over again, 
Argentina es campeón del mundo, which is Argentina is world champion. And it's awesome to watch. It is, it is so, so cool. That is, I think, my favorite celebration of the tournament so far. Not by a player, but still an incredible moment. And then the other one is, there's a video that's gone around of Messi dropping to his knees after Montiel scores the winning penalty kick uh, in the final. And it's Paredes and Acuna who drop to their knees and hug him. And then it's just sort of this, this small crowd that gathers around him. And the angle of it makes the moment even more special. Those celebrations from the, from the final yesterday, I think, are things that I will remember as well. Maybe, maybe more than some of the other ones, but that's just because how, how massive that match was. Very nice. Uh, we come to the category sponsored by Graham Ruthven. Best <laughs> kit. Over to you. So I'm not sure I can pick just one from this World Cup. So I've got three. Uh, Mexico's away kit was a, a stunner with the mixed tech art pattern, I'm told. That's what that is called, but it was very nice. It's just a shame that it was not, never actually worn at this World Cup. Um, Japan, Both Japan shirts were brilliant as well, but the away one with the origami pattern was my favourite, especially in long sleeve. I looked for it in long sleeve, was never able to find it in long sleeve. It was sold out everywhere. Also not worn at this tournament, though. And then my third ch- uh, selection, my third choice, is South Korea's away shirt with the neon brush strokes. That was That was a belter common theme here we didn't see that one at the world cup either so basically i liked all the ones we never saw thanks so FIFA, for that your best kit is uh all, all three nominations were not actually kits at this world cup <laughs> well they were they were sold as that they took them i imagine they had them and you know packed in somewhere in the dressing room but they weren't actually ever worn right. but yeah i'm not sure you understood the assignment can. graham they're still world cup kits <laughs> How- did england ever wear the red one actually at this world no. cup no that's still a world cup kit though didn't see it. <laughs> is this a bear in the woods yeah, situation? Tree in the woods situation. <laughs> Maybe it is. What do you think, Graham, about the French kit? I think they have the best yep. one in terms of the tricolor with the red, white, and blue. That that jersey itself is just so sharp. I think they are the best dressed, as you may expect mm. from the French. Yeah, very nice shirt. I would I would say very nice kit when it's worn as it's meant to be worn with the white shorts and the red socks. Yeah. And I'm still angry yesterday that we didn't get the classic matchup with Ar- Argentina. Have a great kit as well with the you know obviously the the white and blue shirt the black or dark navy sometimes shorts and 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 then the 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 white socks i think they are but fifa demanded they were all white and france were all blue so that kind of spoiled things but yes i i I take your point the france shirt was was very nice i don't know whether it's just because of the era i grew up in it is very nice but it doesn't say it's not a classic France shirt to me because France shirts from in my when I was growing up, my formative years were much kind of more royal blue. So I think of like 98, 2000, 2002, that color. And then around about the mid 2000s, France kind of shifted into this darker color, which is very nice. But I'm going to take I'm going to need a few more tournaments before that becomes like France's classic color. I think the, the, uh, the 2018 white and uh, like navy blue hoop ones that they wore that may, they like the only way that could have been more definitive French is if they'd worn berets like that yeah. really yeah, would have garlic. got the point across. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Uh, but I do love the 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 blue, the white, the red. I wish U.S. Soccer and Nike would would sort of follow that example. Like, just give me like a like a red and white stripe on each sleeve, and like a red and blue stripe on the shorts, and you can just take the French uniform, and make it a little bit American, and then that could be our uniform instead of whatever the U.S. tends to go for in the World Cup. 
So the US home shirt isn't among your nominees, Taylor? Tis not. Uh, I had uh, the French full <laughs> kit, uh, which they weren't allowed to wear in the final, uh, much to my chagrin. Uh, the Ecuador away, the blue one with the pattern on it, Ecuador. I thought was pretty nice. awesome. And then the Saudi Arabia away, the green pattern one, I thought was pretty great, too. That's one that I, I, would, I would buy and wear if it weren't Saudi Arabia. Indeed. Joe? Yeah, retweet Japan good I'll, i even like the japan home kit as well that's the yeah, blue one nice. i believe we did see that one at this tournament so just to be the anti-gram here and to pick one that, that we did see i'll go with that one even though i think all of graham's picks were probably cleaner than that one all right then penultimate award i think uh, joe has already revealed yep. the winner here quite possibly the funniest moment of the tournament i'm struggling to think of anything funnier than a very Wait, angry what was... pepe having his head kissed oh right okay well i've got i've got one for you go on uh I, I I loved a couple moments. I loved I really loved the Diego Costa nearly getting embarrassed by Iñaki Williams and Ronaldo's face when it happened. That was a great moment. If it had been a goal, that would have made it even better. Sofian Bufal dancing with his mother was both funny and happy. Abubakar getting sent off for taking his uh, shirt off for the second goal, another funny moment. But oh, yeah. the one that I, I sort of, in the moment, definitely did not find funny, did not find funny for a few days afterwards, but now would encourage you to go back and watch, is the Christian Pulisic goal versus Iran. It is objectively funny <laughs> now that we know that he's okay now that we know the u.s advanced and everything's like whatever watch it again and you know how he scores that goal you know what happens in the lead up to it it's it, it is objectively a funny goal to watch happen even if it led to a fair amount of discomfort for christian pulisic did you enjoy the movie mm. uh, man getting hit in groin with football by the hands <laughs> more man movie i i did vote for it and i was saying Burns. yes <laughs> excellent uh. Um, so a few other nominations. I, I Look, honestly think Emmy Martinez, maybe this is recency bias, but him celebrating the Golden Glove by doing that <laughs> with the trophy is up there. It's 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 the picture with the, 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 the member of the Qatari Emirati in the background. Absolutely horrified. That's that's what makes that was moment. Was that horrified? Was that a horrified face? I'm not sure that that face. I think was it horrified. was. I think it was. Wait, what's he doing with that glove? Yeah. Oh, oh no! Oh my eyes! No, that's not what you're meant to do with that. That's what I think that face said from the the Qatari person, whoever that was. Uh, but yeah, I I also enjoyed the, the Saudi Arabian fan ripping the door off in celebration at their win <laughs> over Argentina. That video. I I I don't know about you, but ripping a door off its hinges and, is a temptation I've always had when celebrating a big win. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was naturally. that was an enjoyable one, and then some honourable mentions for uh, Wesley McKenney drying the, the ball with a photographer's bib. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not one. sure what game that was in. That that was funny. The Mexico fan knifing his own TV when Mexico went out of the World Cup. Uh, I had Chiche doing the, the the pigeon dance, Cavani punching the VAR screen screen, oh, yeah. and then just Cristiano Ronaldo's entire tournament. That was pretty funny. What, what? <laughs> uh, one other that's just occurred to me: uh, Sergio Aguero in the final. Uh, racing onto the field and bundling onto the victorious team before even the subs had reached the field. How was he there before, like the rest of the team? He he must uh, he was in the stands presumably. He's he's got all the way down there and onto the field quicker than. I think he was on the touchline actually. Oh, was he? I think he was. I think he was in the dugout. Yeah, for the whole match. Oh, okay, well, of course he was. Of course he was. But either way, he <laughs> made it onto the field and was very much inserted himself into the moment like a piece of Qatari uh, linen that was mm. draped over Leo Messi. Uh, yeah, like the Argentinian David May. <laughs> Indeed. Very well done, indeed. Uh, Joe, I, I still think your Pepe nominee is very strong, though. Yeah, that, that's one of my favorites, but man, lots of good ones. Other than that, I, I love both both the ones that Taylor and Graham brought as well. Lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff, indeed. One final category to go through. Biggest one of the night. The Total yep. Soccer Show, very specific prediction winner. 
Um, it was Graham, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well done, Graham. How many did you get? Thank you. Uh, I'm not even sure. What I got did I get? it. I got 10? it pulled up. I got it pulled up. Cool. So Graham, okay. this is this is from Kenneth Seiden in the Discord. Thank you, Kenneth. We appreciate you doing yeah. all of this. It's a ton of work, and you are incredible for being willing to do it unasked and so consistently just massive props to you and we appreciate it hop in the discord people by the way you can check that out through patreon uh we, we plug that a lot so you probably know where how to, how to find it it's also in the the link in the show notes graham got 10 out of 29 the sps right i got 8 out of 26 coming in a, a very respectable second place i would say ryan finished with 8 out of 27 and taylor had 7 out of 31 that was what, the total what? hey we all finished in the top four so in that way i think we're all winners here <laughs> Champions League, baby. Yeah. Beginner's luck. Beginner's luck for all three of you. That's what I have to say. Taylor got the uh, Arsene Wenger fourth place trophy. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were the better prediction on the day. Uh, you know, the results <laughs> didn't show that, but uh, I feel very proud of my predictions, and I feel like we should have won the prediction game. Ta- Taylor's expected predictions was was very, very high. At some point, yeah. he'll, he'll sort of regress yeah. to the mean, which is going to be a good thing for you, Taylor. Big things to come in, in July of, of 2023 for the Women's World Cup. Mm. I hate this segment. Yeah, I, I overperformed uh, my expected VSPs at this tournament. <laughs> yeah. This is This is genuinely the, the comfortably the best moment in my life, though, to win this. You know, <laughs> better than... You, you have a daughter, right? But, you, 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 and, and you're married, married as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but neither my daughter or my wife listen to this, so <laughs> I can be honest here. <laughs> I, okay. I really did enjoy this saga of Graham trying to convince his spouse to watch the game yesterday. <laughs> and the different <laughs> ways he went about doing that <laughs> well eventually just turned the tv on forcibly in the kitchen but oh dear yeah oh dear. thank thank you very much I'll, I'll post the the video of me doing the golden shoey this week on 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 the patreon yeah that was Good. gonna be my next question grave is there a special shoe assigned for this golden oh there shoe? will be nice there will be wonderful as i say subscribe to the patreon to see it oh can't wait patreon.com slash total soccer show to see graham do the thing he really likes doing a bit too much, which is drinking <laughs> alcohol from a shoe. <laughs> and we're glad we it's just a you natural another. receptacle for for alcohol. I don't know what the problem is. There's no problem. We love it. We love you. Very good. All right. Thank you very much. That is our <laughs> awards ceremony. Graham Rodman. Thank you again. We look forward to seeing you um, drink from your shoe and then casually put it back on and spend the rest of the day in it, like we've seen you do before. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And I don't know whether this kind of bookends our World Cup coverage or, or, or not, but thank you to everyone that listened throughout the the tournament as well. We had a, a live show, a watch party. We did 34 episodes on the feed. We did 22 bonus shows. We did 10 Bleacher Report live shows. So thank you, everyone who watched, listened, and came to those live shows. It was very much appreciated. And we all had a blast. Look at you with the numbers. Nice. Very good. Yeah. Joe Lowry. That's what I did this morning, working that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Joe, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always, my dear. Uh, the pleasure was mine until the very end. Uh, I'm alleging prediction fraud. Uh, there were illegal prediction counters in a number of different localities, and I, and I think we really we can't stop until we know for sure how the specific prediction All count right. occurred. Uh, <laughs> that aside, I will say thank you to you three uh, for for doing this basically it is not always fun to watch all these games to talk about them and i know we talk about it a bunch how we're not coal miners we're not out there doing manual labor but it's a grind and it's 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 not a lot of sleep it's hard work it's watching the games but watching the games in a way that you can then bring interesting stuff to the table and that's a a precedent that i think was established by me and daryl as like 
vaguely arrogant as that sounds. I apologize if so, but it's a thing that I've always really prided this show on is is trying to provide informative content that help people understand the game more or appreciate it more or just have a little bit more fun with it. Um, and that's always the thing that makes me nervous that like, will we able to continue that? And the World Cup was a big part of that. And for us to have watched every game, covered every single game, except the third place game, justifiably so, uh, and and still like enjoyed doing it, hung out together, got to know each other better, uh, and I think provided some good shows, some good analysis, and, and made some good friends along the way in New York, and, and it was just a, a really special tournament. So though I didn't love the host, though I didn't love some of the games, I did love getting to cover it with you th- uh, three fine fellows, and I look forward to doing it again next week when we are back talking about club soccer. <laughs> but uh, really, genuinely, oh <laughs> from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you three for making it possible. Uh, it was genuinely just really, really wonderful. Oh, Likewise, Taylor. Thank you very much. And yes, Premier League back next week. Woo! <laughs> All right. On that note, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this journey, of course, too. We really appreciate you. Obviously, we couldn't do this without you, listener, because we'd just be four men talking into the void and making bad jokes occasionally. But we love you very much, listener. Thank you for sticking with us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye!